You are listening to Boku no Stop, an anime podcast that only showed up to promote itself. I'm your host, Sybil Arnett, and with me is... Chris. And Matt. And today we're talking about Monster, episodes 55 through 58. Content warnings for today's batch include a lot of talk and visualization of suicide and gun violence of Go-Go. But mm-hmm. we're going to kick off with episode 55, room 402, where we pick back up with Tenma at the bar Ava stormed out of last week. He is asking if the bartender has seen her, and he says, yep, I have. Her attitude is worse than ever. I wonder how long she's going to keep thinking she's a rich princess on Daddy's Dime. As soon as he gets the name of her hotel, Tenma books it, stealing a man's coat and heading out into the streets. He's not a moment too soon, with the bartender realizing a moment too late. Wait a second, Asian guy asking after Ava? Shit, you're her ex, the killer! And the police are called, and the chase is on. At this point, we are into another one of the scenes from the opening, Tenma in an ill-fitting coat, hiding among crowds and cramming into a phone booth. He's only got the pocket change that the coat's owner originally had, and he uses it to call Ava's hotel, first to try and contact her directly, and then to get the room number when she's not responding. The scene is more tense than expected as the temporary hold he's placed on eats most of his time at the payphone and nearly cuts him off. Across town, Verdevan and Reichvine cannot raise Alfred Ball. And Reichvine posits that the other attorney has simply abandoned the case with Tenma's escape. Reichvine asks, will you abandon Tenma too, Mr. Verdemon? No, but I don't understand any of this. I'm his attorney, and I wish he would have trusted me in the slightest. Like, to be fair, my man has gone a really long time without an attorney. Not familiar with how this goes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, generally, if you are being held on bail or some other thing, and you need to seek the services of a lawyer, you may be held up until you get someone that you can work with. So, Tenma might have been shooting himself in the foot had he not, you know decided to skip the whole system and flip the fucking table. The doctor probes at him, suggesting that Verdemont doesn't trust his client or at least believe his full story. But Reichvine says that there's one other time Tenma was this rash. It was when he went AWOL to try to murder Johan, possibly. And he just says, something on that scale is possibly happening again. And at his office, Verdemont's assistant asks his boss if he has anything to say to the phones ringing off the hook of, from the press. And he just gives a a non-committal. Tell him we're evaluating the evidence right now. We'll have a press conference when we fully understand everything. That very his assistant very frustrated by that. He goes into his office to hunker down, and however, there's an unexpected guest there, some guy from the BKA, and then hell yeah, it's Inspector Lunge just columboing mm-hmm. all over around the entirety of entirety of Europe, and uh, he has put on somewhere over the rainbow and is waiting for the lawyer. Elsewhere, Tenma heads to room 402, and the maid just passes him and begins cleaning it. When he asks what happened to the woman inside, she tells him that the resident checked out earlier that day. Inside the room, there are no belongings in the same bottle of scotch and half-empty glass we saw left for her last time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he, like, pushes her out of the way, like, into the door to, like, get by her. Yeah, like, he's pretty desperate. Classic criminal behavior. (laughs) There is one bit that is a little sloppy on their part that gets me. The ice is still full in the glass. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, that's that's reuse then. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Back at Verdeman's office, Lunge is 
just straight pissing the lawyer off as he both refuses to leave and insists that he's not here about Tenma and doesn't really say why he's here <laughs> for a while either. Yeah, it is straight up Columbo shit. You know, I've been on vacation. Okay, get to the point, Inspector. <laughs> yeah, he said, uh, yeah, he's like, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about your father and just continues to piss him off. Uh, but yeah, he said like, oh, yeah, I've been on this extended vacation. It's been very refreshing, but I keep finding excuses for my destinations to focus around this project of mine because I am simply obsessed with this picture book. And he pulls out the monster with no name and like starts flipping through it, too. <laughs> it's a real big tick energy thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh Rodamon keeps trying to say oh, okay but just fuck off and leave me alone until Linga goes uh the author of this book had a lot of aliases only one German Klaus Pape and he was acquainted with a man you know well your father and then shit gets real <laughs> very fast uh because Lunge lays out in a very clinical manner. So your dad met Klaus Pape, which makes sense because one of Pape's books was played on the children's classic segment of your father's radio station. And like he even calls out, yeah, uh, Over the Rainbow. That was the song that, that played on your uh, your father played every morning on the radio station, huh? So he's been doing his research. He also goes on to say, like, but when... Yeah, your father traveled to Czechoslovakia. He did not meet the man like most guests did at his editor's home. He met him at a place called the Red Rose Mansion. Poppy did not go by that name there. He went by the name Franz Bonaparte, an alias linked deeply with the Czech secret police. And then uh, we there's this like bit here where there's a cut between Lunge's face as he like continues to push further. And Vertimon getting more and more agitated, um, trying to refute uh, Lunge's evidence. But they're not showing his face. They're just showing shots of his bookshelf, uh, which I thought was an interesting choice. Like, it almost reminds me of something like you'd see in a Ava, right? Like, like, purposefully not showing one side of an argument, like the person on one side of an argument. It feels very Ava to me. I don't know. It, it does make this more of a metaphorical scene until we get the reveal. Yeah. So we find out, though, that this argument is not happening in real time. Uh, the Vertiman is just sitting in his office after Lunge has left and is arguing with the conversation that they had earlier, just trying to continue to convince himself that his father is still innocent. And he's even locked himself in the office and basically canceled all of his appointments and the roughest part here is that Lunge repeatedly tells him, look, call me later when you've calmed down, but I just don't give a fuck that your father was a spy. I just want to know about Bonaparte. And eventually, Vertimon's assistant comes in and lets him know that his wife is on the phone. And he notices that his boss is just kind of staring off into space, like having this weird argument with himself. But uh, apparently his wife is being discharged from the maternity ward, which is great news, and he goes to pick her up. So Verdamon walks out to his car, gets in, and click, click, motherfucker, Kenzo Tenma's in the passenger seat, and he just says, start driving. So mm -hmm. both men are on the verge of snapping through this peel-out and 
you know, Tenma's like, I'm not putting this gun down. You are not going to stop this car. Keep going. I know who you're working with, and I know you were both defending me to get to Ava. And Verdemon is just as tense as Tenma here, but for different reasons, because he is just completely blindsided by this. He's like, you you left town in Eastern Europe. What the hell are you doing here? Why do you have a gun? And finally, after Tenma reveals that Alfred Ball was Roberto, the man he shot in a library fire, Verdemon does not give a fuck what happens to him, just pulls his car over and crumbles. Like, is, is this true? Is what you are telling me true? Because Verdemon, you see, is very broken up about the fact that he has known his father was a spy since he was in law school. Years after the evidence proved him innocent posthumously, Fritz Verdemon found his father's notebook. It was everything that a good spy wouldn't leave around, Evidence of his meetings, various codes and keys, and a trail which confirms that, yes, his father did meet with this Franz Bonaparte character at... Tenma immediately slams into this and goes, Wait, did they meet at the Red Rose Mansion? And Fritz is like, Okay, how do you all know this already? I really thought this was a deep, dark secret. What the fuck is today? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. He, he just has to confront the fact that, Yes, my dad was a spy, and my dad is fucking terrible at this because a detective and a doctor both independently found all this out decades mm -hmm. later without coming to see me. Love to write literal yeah. directions one step above an actual address for where my secret meetings are. Yeah. <laughs> the worst spy. The worst. And incredibly plot convenient, too. <laughs> like, let's be real, the spy kids are better at his dad's job than he is. Yes. Yeah, somehow he got charged with a crime he didn't commit. <laughs> that really is the funniest part of being true? framed. Wasn't he framed for yes. being a spy, which is true? He, he was a spy, but what he what actually was charged with was a fake charge. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. That's why he was posthumously, yeah, he was posthumously cleared of it because the actual charge was fake. But the, the truth of it was he was a spy and should have been captured for something else. Also, all these kids just yelling son of a spy like that's not cool, actually. Come on, dude. Uh, yeah, I definitely was sitting here like... Who doesn't want to betray the government? Yeah, that would have been sick as hell. Maybe it's because I wasn't in divided Germany as a kid, but yo, that would have been sick yeah. if we found out my dad was going around James Bonding dudes in the head. Okay, to be fair, betraying that government is actually sipping for the Nazis, I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> If you're the if you're a spy for West Germany, but he was. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess there are a couple of weird politics involved. Uh, Similarly, being a spy for America. Uh, yeah. Let's let's not investigate that. From here, though, <laughs> Tenma and Verdemann change course to go to Verdemann's house, where Tenma's suspicions are correct. Roberto got involved as the lawyer, not for Ava, who just happened to be a convenient bonus, but to try to find the journal in question, and his house has been ransacked. It's like the most extreme ransacking you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. They come in and every table is overturned, every single item is at a hole punched through, it's wild. Mm -hmm. To add insult to injury, a letter was left for Tenma, claiming to be written by Ava, waiting for him wait at the Red Rose Mansion. 
But Kenzo just kind of flips about it. It's uh, not Ava's handwriting. It's just Roberto being a dick. <laughs> Which I love. Uh, not knowing mm-hmm. what else to do, the lawyer hands Tenma his father's personal journal. And Tenma just asks, are you sure? Bertamon just simply says, can I trust you? And Tenma looks down and says, I don't think you should trust anyone who waves around a gun too much. And then uh, it closes on with the Vertiman family coming together. Fritz lifting his child, leaving the hospital, his wife by his side. Just wait till she gets home, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't show really that. wanted to see that scene, but no, we close on the touchy. God. <laughs> also, it's like, yeah, you're finally discharged. Let's uh, hang out at a hotel for a few weeks. has serious man face. It's like the baby in Stardust Crusaders in terms of how much man face it has. <laughs> the um if there is one weakness to urasawa's art style it's that he definitely has issues with children there are some shots where Dieter or a couple of orphans certainly have some i'm a renaissance painting energy yeah you, you know i would just say in general he has issues with children have you seen this show <laughs> 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 so many bad things happen to children but that takes us to episode 56 the never-ending journey and tenma is on the side of the road reading the journal and after a little bit he flags down a truck driver who says he'll get our fugitive hero to the czech border and he even asks him like where are you from and he's like i'm japanese and the guy should have just been like oh yeah it's that guy because how many japanese people did <laughs> Is he going to probably run into her trying to sneak over to the Czech border? Uh, but along the way, the man offers him a sandwich that was left over from lunch, uh, saying, oh, yeah, you're going to need it for, uh, you know, for the length of this trip. You're going to need to eat something. You look like you haven't eaten in a while. And uh, there's a good shot here where the camera is looking over at Tenma with the driver who's speaking, and you can see the reflected um, you can see the reflection in the passenger window as uh, the um, you, know, you see the scene, the scenery behind it. Just, it's a nice shot. It's probably going to be the podcast art for this week because it is such a complex shot that they did not need to add all of this to. But it looks very striking in motion and just makes another conversation in a car with a hitchhiker into something different. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Plus, he's got a sick burger. Is is this the point where he says, like, I wish this never-ending journey will end soon? Yeah. Me and you Yeah, and I was like, same. (laughs) Yeah, the the line I chose to transcribe that as from one translation was, I have to find some way to bring this endless journey to a close. I wish you would. Yeah. Let's go. (laughs) We're so close. Can we just skip 20 episodes and just end? No. Please. If we skipped 10 episodes, you would immediately be going, what the fuck happened? No, no, no. I don't mean for our show. I mean, like, I wish the show was shorter and like, oh, I get they shortened it, it themselves. <laughs> I'm just saying we are coming up to the point where everything is escalating, as you may know from the end of this episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So back in Dusseldorf, Reichwein goes, wait, you just let him leave? Uh, when Vertemann told him uh, what happened and... and the lawyer just remembers, happens to, like, he had burned the contents of the memory, sorry, the contents of the journal in his memory because of clearly how traumatic it was to learn this stuff. 
So he's got a pretty good idea where Tenma is going. Uh, and it's part because uh, even Tenma could figure it out. It was just written there. So he, he says, I don't even think most of it was coded. It's just shorthand. Uh, he said it was west of, uh, oh, how do you say that? Bravja. Bravja. Uh, near a, between a weather vane, I believe is weather vane on the left and church on the right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that, the duo heads back to Eastern Europe. So <laughs> this whole detour of going back to Germany, <laughs> we just go right back to Prague. Yep. And meanwhile, in Eastern Europe, it's Nina and Dieter. She's following a trail of traumatic memories to the Red Rose Mansion. Mm-hmm. And eventually they get there, despite Dieter spending half a day going, this is a terrible idea, and we failed at this a few times now. Let's just leave town. We can't play soccer in these streets. This sucks. Mm-hmm. But they go inside, and they find the room Lunge uncovered, and Nina remembers something. Lunge just saw a room that had been scoured clean of corpses and sanitized, but Nina was actually there at the time, and she saw a room full of bodies and spilled wine dripping around, and her looking back at her with a wicked grin, and Nina Fortner collapses onto the ground in a faint, and the last we hear is Dieter's. I said, said, okay, Shion. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but she she faints and we just last hear Dieter screaming her name as we cut away and we cut away to a puppet show a gentleman is putting on a show about a guy stabbing another guy on a bridge and surprisingly no one loves that uh, oh behind him we see a guy playing a clown making a clown puppet play a guitar and people love that brain's too smooth <laughs> And the man, I mean, like this is this feels like a real like subtweet of like just art and consumerism in uh-huh. general. Of it, like <laughs> it's very funny to me. Like, what about my serious art? Which is ironic because you know this is a bestseller and a critical darling, and uh, I believe his next work after this is the one that first started to have some friction. Yes, but have you seen how many volumes of One Piece there are? <laughs> a lot this man is yaromir lipsky which uh just very distractingly close to dr lipschitz um and he apparently found nina and dieter three months ago and they've just been living in his house without paying rent ever since then shout outs to our comrade uh There's a lot of suspicious things about this man from the fact that he found them inside the red rose mansion and mm-hmm. he just somehow could support them while making negative money from his puppets and a dishwasher's salary. <laughs> See, I mean, look, back in the 90s, given the way wages were, you could support three mouths of feet on a dishwasher. Yeah, I don't know why uh, you job can't, and I don't puppets. know why you can't support your family and go to college while just washing dishes at the McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And yet he's also a collector. He has such a collection that couldn't have been cheap. Well, he did make Yeah, those. I No, the books. Oh. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he has a lot of them. Look, you just bring Granted, a... I'm sure some of them were stolen from the mansion. Look, if you bring a gun to he a goodwill, you can get a lot of books. <laughs> Look, he, he he had that uh family connect is what it was. Yep. Oh, I love that he's just a dipshit fail son. That's so funny to me. 
Yes. That, that is where we cut off on that character this week was yep, an intentional yep. move on my part. Uh, <laughs> so his excuse for being in the Red Rose Mansion is he would go to the mansion to get inspiration from his puppet shows. But now he's found a new source of inspiration and jerks off to her while she's asleep. Uh, we will come to learn who the inspiration is. Wonder who it could be in case you don't know that men are creepy. And when we see him mm-hmm. in his workshop carving a blonde puppet with just rockin' titties. And at this point, <sighs> what? No, I, I I can't refute it. It's creepy. Like, it's yeah. played off as, like, kind and sweet, but it it's kind of not. <laughs> it's very this funny. dude should get more comeuppance for a lot of things we see in, like, ten minutes time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know if Nina is just like too nice, too naive. I don't know. But like, I don't know if if someone I knew who may have been romantically interested in me makes a puppet of me and then turns my life into a story they tells with the puppet, I'm going to call the police. <laughs> well, you notice that is the point where she walks out of his life forever. Oh, it's good timing is really what it was. <laughs> Yeah, before the hair collecting starts. Oh God! Yeah, it's no for God. What if the puppet? Nina. What if the puppet's hair was her hair? <laughs> Non-zero chance. <laughs> I know. He's already got it by the time that uh, we see it being carved. Look, just collecting it from the drain in the bathroom every day. Even though this guy is creepy, he does play Beyblade. <laughs> mm. Uh. At this point now, Nina has recovered enough again, took her three months to walk out of bed, and she steps into his workshop for the first time. And then this is where she learns the truth, that Yaromir, on top of being a sex pest, was one of the children at the Red Rose Mansion. You know, I got the feeling that she hasn't been bedridden. I thought she was just, you know, taking her time running around uh, town trying that to find is this place. What you're, I think you're supposed to do, but the framing of it makes it look like she's just been in a coma for three months and just now woke up. He yeah, does it say yeah. when she comes to the door, are you sure you're feeling good enough to be up and about? Uh, yeah, but man, taking care of someone for three months is, like that, it's bedridden. That's a uh, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, this time skip is probably one of the most don't think about it things in the entire show. Yeah, I definitely had the thought when we first saw Nita and Dieter and I'm like, what time are we? Because like last we saw them, they had just arrived there. And then all this bullshit happened with uh, getting, you know, getting captured and escaping jail and now going back to Prague. Yeah, uh, it's weird. So we find out that. Uh, Yaromir has assembled a collection of every book he could find that Franz Bonaparte wrote, uh, no matter which alias it was. And there's a jealousy here that's uh, starting to boil over that he's been harboring for a long time because he was never one of the special children. Uh, He was excluded from the reading sessions pretty early on. And uh, he just starts taking books off the shelf as you know, like there's one where he and he like reads through them to Nina and Nina's starting to realize that she recognizes these stories and that she knows where they go. 
So also, like, shout outs to the animators again. Just like with the monster with no name, they are animating an entirely different art style for all yeah. of these. Oh, the the god yeah. one is so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's one where a devil shows up and one kid decides to make a deal with him and the other kid doesn't and they're both mis- they both end up miserable and sad. Yeah, but at least one of them is happy for a little while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at least one of them is not like going to die of starvation. <laughs> well, so. they will. Well, they but... both are at the end. Oh, at the end because the, the the well, the kid said his garden they said the garden died, like the flower garden. They didn't say like he's going to starve. He's just upset. <laughs> I hope. By the way, uh, but, I hope you're preparing for this because at the end, I'm going to ask you to explain the entire story of Monster linearly. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, <laughs> just letting I you actually know now have... because that's a lot of that's a bunch of prep in case you haven't been doing it. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of notes on uh, things, and I'm actually going to bring in some stuff from the after novel, Another Monster. Because this is the point where I remembered, oh, yeah, over a year ago, Nino is the one that shot Johan. Forgot about it. Oh, I mean, yeah, (laughs) it's just some details that uh, just kind of get glossed over when you take a long time to watch a show. The extremely important one. (laughs) But Matt, we're watching it faster than it could have come out. Yes. Oh, God, you're right. I didn't even think of that. (laughs) That's very funny. Yeah, you have to realize that um, Sci-Fi burned this off as a once a weeknight show once it started to crater in the ratings. But yeah, this was released as a one episode a week series. That makes I mean, that's how most shows used to be. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, another story he reads is one about a god of peace that eventually realizes it's really ugly because it finally sees itself in the mirror. And I forget what happens after that. What happens it after realizes it's a demon. And yeah. Oh, right. And that the God raises a gun to his forehead. What I took from that is don't wear a hat. <laughs> Hats are really hard to pull off. That's not true. Don't take gifts from strange boys named Johan. Yeah. Just don't trust anybody named Johan. Just at all. Really, the whole premise is that this guy's the Negatomino and you shouldn't trust children. <laughs> just don't Old trust type people. supremacy <laughs> but uh across town at the red rose mansion anna quote unquote has entered and goes to the room you know the big room where all the dead people were and the big painting of um the mother is and we see anna is changing you know taking off the wig taking off the skirt and obviously it's johan dressing himself back up in his usual tan suit and he begins speaking to the painting of his mother saying i am her and she is me and then he's uh he says he knows what comes next which means he's going to pour lighter fluid over the outfit he has been wearing and just setting the whole mansion ablaze Meanwhile, back in the workshop, uh, Nina knows what the end of the final book they've been reading together is, which is, as we mentioned, the god raising the gun to his forehead. And then static rises as we cut back to the fateful night in 1987, where a child named Johan raises a finger and points to his forehead and tells his sister two words, shoot me. 
And with that, we cut into episode 57, That Night. We open with a flashback to the 80s. The Liebert family have crossed the Berlin Wall to West Germany, and they are showing off their beautiful children. As the parents talk with the press, Johan and Anna play in their new manor's yard, picking acorns and talking about this new city they live in. To this fucking knockoff Joe Hisashi music. The, the score is a little weird on this one. Yeah, it's like really bad, like C-tier Totoro clone is what it sounds like. Exactly. I lo- I do love how almost all of the songs in the show are just remixes of the intro theme. It's very distracting because it, like, it does not work as like the swanky ballroom tune later. Oh, the <laughs> one that gets me this episode is during one of these flashback sequences, an extended version of the little plinky jingle that plays over the next episode preview is used i don't even oh that's right that does show up in the episode that was so weird i don't know what that is because monster is extremely bad about next time on um there's this little like five second string instrument bit ding 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 what is the name of that instrument oh yeah, it's like what I think it it might be one of those like hammer instruments where it's like a like a harp where you hit with hammers or it's a harpsichord. I forget. Yeah, it's not like that. a guitar or like something stringed in a violin way, but you could tell it's a string instrument by the sounds it's making. Yeah, it's it's very uh, striking piece of music, <laughs> but apparently it goes on longer than 10 seconds because it plays <laughs> through the whole scene. Yeah, yeah. Johan already has some weird fixations on his sister because he's playing a guessing game that he has rigged to always let her win, telling her everything here is yours. And she's like, did you see all the shops in town? There's toys and things. They're cool, too. And he's like, yeah, that's all yours, too. What? Yes, everything belongs to you. But the thing is, you're making it sound creepy. Like in the actual scene, it just seems like a very innocent kid thing. Well, until he talks about the the stores. The stores just comes off as weird, but the tone doesn't change. That's the thing like about this scene is that like, this is the first time I've ever seen Johan look and act happy. And it's so weird, but he's not smiling this whole time. Mm, I guess not. But like every time we've seen him as a child, or just period, he's always had that really cold, like flat, like controlled demeanor. And that is very much not happening in this scene. Like it feels very, very different. I am reading the lines a little creepier, but the vibe is definitely there in the animation. So we cut forward in time to that same evening. Someone has showed up at the Liebert family door in the rain, and the parents invite them in because we can't have you just standing out here. 
Whoever it is is not shown, but they reveal they knew how to find them after I saw you on the news. The arrival wakes Anna, who look, looks around and finds Johan out of bed. Suddenly, there are gunshots from downstairs. And we've seen this part before, her walking in on the murder of her parents, the, her brother telling her to shoot her, clean the gun, and run. But what we didn't see previously was Anna putting together that this is not the first time that Johan has done this. And she just says, oh, did you do this to, like, our aunt and these other, like, people? Well, it's, like, four people at this point. And then Johan just yep. says, today was special. Today, the monster came. Uh, Nina fires, and then we cut back to her in her present day, having a breakdown besides Yaromir collapsing into his arms. And, like, he's loving that. Across town, mm -hmm. firemen are putting out the Red Rose Mansion. In the crowd, Kenzo Tenma stands on the periphery before two men in suits pick him out. Uh, Dr. Tenma, General Wolf would like to see you. Uh, Wolf is now on life support in the mob-slash-secret police hospital Suk had been in, uh, away from all prying eyes. He, too, received a letter from Johan suggesting he would be waiting at the Red Rose Mansion. It is ironic that the only person who sends letters to the man called Wolf is now Johan. And I heard the mansion burn down. Now that it, now that it is, all those, like me, those without a name, will be dragged back into the light. So, across town, the police are investigating the ruins. Oh, real quick. There is some, re there is some, there is some weird sexual energy where he clasps his hand, looks right into his eyes, and says, Say my name. Very weird. <laughs> His dying <laughs> breath does get a little odd. He's like, okay, well, dude. Call me daddy, please. Uh, <laughs> that happens later, right? That, or, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's the yeah, end okay. of this scene. Okay. Yeah, I was about to say, like, there's a like, cutting back and forth. Oh, yeah. Uh, so across, across town, the police are investigating the ruins because all signs are pointing to arson. Uh, before this could go any further, though, however, a rookie comes in summoning the detectives because... Uh, they found something underneath a rose bush, so they started doing a little digging, and it turns out there's a whole fucking army of skeletons down there. And th the deeper they dig, the more they find. So outside the ruins, <laughs> Reichwein and Vertimon grave as an army of skeletons. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> look, that's just putting a positive spin on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, Reichwein and Vertimon are now at the gate looking in, going, well, crap, back to square one. Uh, so we have no idea how we're going to find Tenma now. And a cop runs past them to his vehicle and just calls for backup, just being like, dude, there's a whole lot of fucking bodies down here. And Wolf back in the, ho in the hospital narrates as we cut between that there and the police taking over the mansion investigation and Vol says 46 bodies I'm told all of them as lost as me with nobody alive to remember their names he says that one day in 1981 the entire staff of the mansion disappeared in the middle of an experiment they were conducting oh no the Zohar we then cut <laughs> we then cut back further in time to Africa where someone lets this weird little blonde kid touch a glowing monolith <laughs> that's just doing the 9-11 domino meme but the first one is the Zohar 
Oh, no. <laughs> Someone touches the Zohar in Africa to, you can't fucking get rid of Labyrinthos. Yeah. <laughs> it just keeps coming back. <laughs> Milsha keeps blowing up. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, but, no, we cut... <laughs> Milsha Mil should be like, damn, this is really blowing up. Anyway, check out my SoundCloud. <laughs> <laughs> the SoundCloud link is just the sound of rubble in space. It's just vibing. <laughs> God, I wish I could use voodoo vibing as the episode. Title. Why not? Because <laughs> it won't make any sense to anybody. Who yeah, the lightning really strike thrice. But you know Look, what? Fuck it. The day, the day is young. Vibing. There's still plenty of time for me to say something very objectionable. I mean, like, it's either Udu vibing or Udu rising. Depends on how you want to skip, uh, spit it. it uh, so far, the candidates are either the Beyblade one that he suggested the other day or Udu <laughs> yeah, vibing. Yeah, golden Beyblades. <laughs> I was very excited about the spinning top game. Yes. Ah, mm -hmm. uh, no, but we actually cut back uh, to the border crossing of the twins. Much like earlier, we see, you know, the parts yeah. of the story we knew, but then a little more added in. We see the girl collapse, asking her brother to say her name one last time. And he says, I can't. We don't have names. A little later, the Border Patrol finds them alive and bundles them up into a jeep, giving them some uh, vitals and discovering their only possession, a copy of the monster without a name. Wolf was one of the two men who found them in that blasted land. I gave the boy the name Johan from the book. I fear it awakened something in him, but there's no point in talking about the past anymore. Instead, he says, it is time to talk of the future, a tomorrow he will not live to see. Ava Heinemann is in the care of our organization. Wolf mentions again that the group was brought together by four men who helmed and steered it. Professor Godric, who is now dead, and Wolf, who is dying, and right now, Ava is with the other two. Are these guys the you Nazis? Cannot... I can't remember who these guys these are. These are the Nazis, okay. yes. They're hanging he, out he with the He was a former Nazi, yeah. Yes. Okay. Got it. Oh, yeah, the baby makes an appearance. And I oh, couldn't yeah. remember his name, and I was just like, my man looks like a baby, and then that's his name? Yes. Well, they say, that, like, how long have you been with the baby? I know, <laughs> so, that's what I remembered what it was. <laughs> yep. It is so good. But, um, yeah, Wolf is saying, you cannot let them meet because they intend to use her and I cannot stop this anymore. It's all about to spin out of control. Which, um, yes. <laughs> As he begins flatlining, he gasps out for the doctor to call him by his full name, the one nobody alive can remember anymore. And Tenma obliges, taking his hand and calling him Helmuth Wolf. And the general expires with his final words being, So this is what Johan saw. And then his guys just out. salute! Uh-huh. Yep. Couldn't yeah, believe it. Yeah. Man, I, I... I don't know why we're showing sympathy for this guy. This guy sucks. No, you're not supposed to feel sympathy for him. Tedmo was there to get something out of him, and that's always been their relationship. Right, yeah, no, but then he gave, um, they showed him some kindness by like giving him what he wants on his deathbed. That's like, because te te it, it, that's because he's a person, and Tenma cares about people. Yes, yeah, we've already seen Tenma stop to save 
various dirtbag criminals, uh, all sorts of depraved oh, individuals. Sure, sure. Like, yeah. But that's that, I feel like that's different because he's trying to preserve life where this is just a case of he's showing emotional kindness, not like I'm going to make sure you don't die. Well, that's the thing. That's the difference between Tenma and the other doctors at his hospital, right? The other doctors also are mm-hmm. interested in preserving life, but Tenma cares about preserving human dignity. Uh, above life mm-hmm. really that's like the thing he cares about too yeah and that's why he takes care I just, of Wolf here i just i just don't think this ex-nazi deserves any sympathy <laughs> like, or... probably does it but if you look at it from tenma's point of view which is likely to haunt him more did i just do that for a nazi or did i just let a dying man lay there to struggle in pain for his last moments yeah I would love to one day talk about an anime that does not involve involve Nazis. Let's be real. Uh, there were no Nazis in G Gundam. Mm. They weren't Nazis, Chris. Only on the technicality definite- that it was modeled after the World War One helmet. <laughs> it's true. Not to mention that you cannot tell me no one Operation Paperclipped some scientists to make the Devil Gundam. Oh, that's true. Wait, wait, Chris. Chris, there were Nazis because remember the Shuffle Alliance let World War II happen. Oh no! They're collaborators! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they just stood by and were like, yep, this is good. I think Pokemon, five episodes of Pokemon are the only anime this network has discussed that didn't involve Nazis. Uh, have we, we have not seen any Nazis so far in Jujutsu Kaisen. It's coming. And you will not in the anime. Oh no! In the anime, <laughs> that implies that it's in the manga. I haven't read beyond the manga's coverage. Of <laughs> Waiting the for anime. John to tell us the about show. the movie and just say, "Wow, the movie has some weird opinions about World War II." <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're the prequel movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh no! It just turns out that like <laughs> the Holocaust was just like trying to exercise mass exercise curses, and it's just no. Why'd you have to do that? Matt, Hitler's domain. Matt, the implication of World War II being about mass exercising curses says some dire things about the Jewish people. You might want to rethink that. No, I that my point was that it would go that way and it would be oh, very okay. bad. <laughs> Not that I it would be funny if it went that way. Because well, obviously, yeah. It yikes. would be funny that it went that way, but on a more sicko meta level. It, yes, yes. <laughs> oh. I knew what I was saying. <laughs> We forgot to do this one. This last sentence here. Yeah, you cut me off halfway through. Um, The general's final words are, So this is what Johan saw. A world without names and a vision of that baron's no man land flashing before his eyes as he expires. Yeah, whatever, dude. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Finally, later than everyone else, we see Dieter, Nina, and Lipsky approaching the Red Rose Ruins. By this point, the place is chained up, and nobody wants to risk police reprisal to cross that barrier. Lipsky fears that this may have been the key to helping Nina regain her memories, but she says it's too late for that, and she remembers the bodies and wonders if her brother saw them all die, saying, If I had been there to watch that, would I have been the one who became the monster? How could anyone not break after a sight like that? But discussions turn to happy memories as Dieter reminds them that Tema just says, just go make some new ones. It'll be fine. 
And Lipsky hopes that Nina remembers some someday. He thinks that they can exist. So they all just go hanging out at like a carnival, like fucking tourists, I guess. Uh, uh-huh. This is where we see him play Beyblade for a little and eat hot dogs. And um, while they're eating the hot dogs, Lipsky says he's designing a new show, a new story for that new puppet. He shows it to the duo, the tale of a woman who hunted a monster and was hunted by the monster, but also loved to dance and enjoy life. But he doesn't have an ending for her, and he hopes it will be happy. Like, you can just jerk off yourself, it's fine. Um, yeah, I, but she she's touched by this, and she, she cries. That's because she's dumb. <laughs> Run away. <laughs> she yeah, does no. in ten minutes. Uh, yeah, no, they're on their way. No, out. she leaves. She's not running away because of him. She, oh, oh, she lucked out. Now he's. It's like look, when the Unabomber yes. mails you a letter, but it's normal correspondence. Just she lucked out. Oh, right. I got a manifesto. Okay. See, but this is why he wasn't selected for the readings because he's a simp, not a psycho. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do is when people post pictures of themselves and their partner looking happy, I just hit them with the simp emote. Very good. <laughs> that is a power move. I need to add it to I need to add it to like the shit pit. <laughs> uh, as the do du- so Nina and Dieter set off. Lipsky is alone in his apartment with his creepy doll of Nina once more until a knock at the door jolts him up. Unfortunately, he's like, oh, Nina, and then it's Inspector Luge who just goes, ah, oh, Mr. Lipsky, son of Franz Bonaparte, owner of the Red Rose Mansion, are you not? And this is just what I yell out loud, my man's a fail son. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That takes us to episode 58, I Hate This Job, which, same. Uh, we open up on a shot of a gun in the rain. And slowly zooming out from there. And we hear a voice say, if I had known this is how this would have ended, I would have never taken this job. I didn't like it from the beginning. Well, I can't believe if you could see the future, you would avoid the thing where you get shot to death. Real (laughs) revelatory. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah, let me guess. Let me tell you, I would definitely avoid a few things I did uh, if I knew them ahead of time. Mm. Boy. I really should get this football-shaped growth in me looked at sooner. Huh. <laughs> Whoa. Anyway, uh, before we cut away, there are flashes of a gunfight and a man diving out a window. And slowly we see a blood-stained hand come into the frame a few inches from the weapon. And then we cut to an opening shot of Lost Highway. <laughs> uh, inside the car... Every single Noir cliche is happening all at once to the two men. They uh, rock. One, the driver's... Yeah. 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 One, the driver's insisting that uh, it's okay if you maybe go back to the jail. We're going to take you to the hospital, but you will live. And second, the gunshot blonde man who, like, he... I don't know why, but, like, he looks like a slightly more square version of Mark McGrath to me. I don't know why that's who is that? the image that oh, comes in my now. head. Mark. Sugar, sugar Ray. Sugar Ray guy. I don't know who that is either. Oh, well, this should be good. <laughs> like, okay, it's like if the Sugar Ray, like, it's like if this guy before Mark McGrath decided to start looking like um, the Flavor Town guy, <laughs> Guy Fury. Wait, Steve O was in yeah. charge of a karaoke show? Yes. That's weird. I, 
I don't remember that. Uh, I, VH1 I hope... show game shows are a weird nether realm of their own. Did did he ever? I bet you he really wanted to stick that microphone in his ass at some point. They were just like, no, we can't do that on this show. Man, Save Mark McGrath last long. Mark McGrath has some huge himbo vibes from these this personal quote <laughs> section on his IMDb. I am a huge boxing fan. I love the strategy and the combat. I'm not a fighter, but I would love to be a boxer because I love the courage and toughness. I mean, there could be nothing more terrifying than walking into an arena and looking at Mike Tyson in the ring. That's pretty terrifying. What a fucking idiot. Mark Dude. McGrath is what happens if an entertainment. Oh my God, this was even better about Madonna. Oh no. Quote, you always wonder what she looked like naked. So her sex book was exciting, but it was confusing to see her with vanilla ice. <laughs> 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 oh my god, dude! <laughs> just a normal god. guy is so good. <laughs> he's just the guy you meet at the convenience store. I love that. He's he he's just like the bro version of Ken Bone. I was going to say he's if Joe Rogan specked into charm instead of meat after he got out of Hollywood. Yeah, that seems about right. It's the same kind of dumb guy energy, but it's a lot more harmless. Yeah. Let's just say this guy way cooler than Mark McGrath. Who this character. wrote this IMDB? Okay, this is very good. Last one. I could answer anything about American pop culture, any American pop culture song ever. But if I got something funny, I'd call brackets, world famous physicist and bracket Stephen Hawking. Mark McGrath on who he would call for his lifeline on who wants to be a millionaire. <laughs> Amazing. I love that they felt the need to put in brackets a world famous physicist. <laughs> yes, that Stephen Hawking, not the other Stephen Hawkings we know. <laughs> Clint Hawking. The worst, worst part about that is I thought about that for 10 seconds and realized Stephen Hawking would be the worst lifeline because he has to type out no. things letter by letter. Yeah, and they're on a 20 second timer. He says Look, he'd only call him for something funny just to own him. That's so good. Honestly, they probably should have just stuck to facts. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, just fa like get his facts. I'm going to be thinking about this Madonna quote all day now. <laughs> An easy description for our viewers, by the way, is this dude is basically a messier John Constantine from the comics. Blonde hair, <laughs> shitty suit coat. This photo of him just makes it I... look like the Chad meme. <laughs> look, he's just such a like quintessential like turn of the millennium looking douchebag. Yeah, he's like, just a guy. You know this guy. This is the guy who hung out at the high school when he was way too old. This is the to guy that so. goes. To, this is the guy that goes to the independent haircut place. Yes, he definitely doesn't have. I'm an extra in dazed and confused vibes. That's a little harsh on Mark. <laughs> okay, <laughs> look, page six dot com from eight, from eight seven twenty twenty one. Mark McGrath is the quote last douche of the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, you know, if they ever made a biopic of him, he'd be played by Ryan Reynolds. Oh my God! Sugar Ray Frontman Mark McGrath is okay with being known as quote the douche from the nineties. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he he was leaning into that when he was in the hosting game show days. Oh my God! Mm -hmm. Oh my God! This guy's fifty three years old. My man could get it still. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. No, he aged really well for someone in the music industry. Oh, no, but he does have a creepy smile. This man has some puppets that he made. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. But, yeah, uh, the the guy, you know, Mr. Mark McGrath, uh, is gut shot in the back of this car. And, uh, yeah, he's insisting that they go to uh, Hellblaw Hotel where an underground doctor can fix him and name, name drops Tenma here. And the driver then speeds up towards that destination. Suddenly, we cut back in time. Person who Chris forgot existed, the baby, introduces us to our blonde, Martin Reist. Oh, I remember he existed, just not his name. Baby forgetter, Chris Taylor. <laughs> My man looks like a grade four curse. Oh, I'm going to say. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> My man continues to be and dresses like the imp from Twin Peaks. No, so. he's a Twin Peaks reference. We've already established this. Yeah. He just looks like the penguin, but with the JJK curse eyes. <laughs> He's just so, his face is so bulbous. Like everything is yeah, so round weird. on him. Ugh, ugh, don't, <sighs> don't like, do not like. Um, anyway, the baby is introducing Martin to Peter Kapek, who is one of the four leaders of the organization, who tells the baby to fuck off. He really only needs his man for this job. Before he goes, the baby does tell Martin, if you fuck this up, I'll kill you myself. Like three times in a row, just really highlighting what a dipshit the baby is and how the only thing he has going for him is the slight perception of being more powerful than others. Mm -hmm. The baby is rising through the ranks solely because of the fact that everyone above him is getting murked by Johan. Uh (laughs) And, you Uh know. That's one of those things that's probably going to bring this organization down is giving this fucking dipshit a lot more power. It's like if Frito became the head of the fucking family. That's what we're dealing with. Mm. Oh, or if mm. Hitler was actually in charge. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. So Kapek asked for Martin because he's quite good at fulfilling jobs. Any jobs. But Martin does say his one rule is he doesn't like to do work involving women. Capek likes this about Reese because, quote, this job involves a woman. But as a result, I know you'll be strictly professional in the process. You'll go to Dusseldorf, retrieve this woman, and bring her to me. And so we cut back to the cliffhanger we left off on two weeks ago. Ava Heinemann opening her door after hearing the endless knocking outside. And it was Martin Reese picking her up for his boss. In a pinch, she decides, and openly vocalizes, "Eh, well, this is better than letting Roberto kill me. Sure, I'll join you. Carry my bag. Mm -hmm. Already, he finds himself starting to hate her from this introduction. uh, I've been on that hating Ava tip for a while. Would anybody like Ava? Like, really? Mm. Really? (laughs) No. Oh, look, okay, okay. I bet you... I would bet you that oh, somebody you know would be into you know it, did? but... You know who did? Roberto. That's true. That's true. I, just... I don't know if he liked her. He was just like, I'm going to get it wet. That's <clears throat> it. I think that's as far as it was for Roberto. God, so gross. Uh... <laughs> Tell me that's not fitting for that No, man. I'm not. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. All right. I promise I will stop saying... 
Ooh, I'm going to get it wet for people to hear. <laughs> Time to get wet, girl. Gyno. <laughs> oh, shit. On the train, Ava's being cold and contradictory and just begins immediately just slamming the drinks back after her brief, I'm going to get clean and help Tenma period. It just heads off to the dining car to get drunk. Uh, before she gets there, though, she just finds a random guy with a bottle in between cars and jo- joins him. And a few minutes later, he's trying to give her a business card and ask where she's staying in town. And Martin comes up, asks what the man's doing, and doesn't wait for an answer. He just becomes fucking slamming him into the wall before kicking him in the ribs repeatedly. And then says, let's go back. And Ava and her booze go back to the seats and we never see this poor guy again who probably died there. And, and she's like, really like, she freaked out. by this. No, she looks freaked out. In the, she's, when she's definitely torn between the two. Her face is doing some, oh, this is what I've got. And that man died. <laughs> it was it was not also, a light buddy beat. you gotta flip on the sub pump so later the pair are at dinner and martin still isn't feeling very talkative ava digs into why he doesn't drink and he says it's because his mother was a reckless alcoholic ava says you know she probably had a good reason to drink i know i do and martin is absolutely happy to let her entertain herself so he could just space out for a while goes tell me why it'll take a while Unless you want to eat in silence, you may as well tell me the story. And she begins telling him the story of her engagement over dinner. And we get to the we get to the end of it after a pub crawl where Ava is just absolutely fucking tanked. And Martin's response at the end is like when she when Ava ends with, oh, and I nearly shot him. Isn't that wild? Is to just say, yeah, well, more interesting than my story, I guess. <laughs> she's very very dissatisfied by this and is mad and she goes oh yeah well why why is mine better huh and he's like oh because unlike you i actually shot her i came in to find my girlfriend on top of another man and i shot her and him just firing through both of them until i ran out of bullets and then there i was all alone in the middle of everything and all ava does is in response is call him an idiot and he cannot disagree yikes <laughs> It's funny because, like, I like this character, but also problematic, fave. problematic fame. Exactly. I was just saying, like, half oh, of man. the mob mooks in this cast. I mean, yes, you, if you're in organized crime, you're probably problematic. Probably. Yeah, they don't pay taxes or anything, dude. Come on. Yeah. You know, how do you expect to, like, get government services if you're not going to help pay for them? Uh, there's a whole subplot about that in Jojo Part 5. cool jojo continuing to sound bad (laughs) i feel like you would either love unexpectedly or fucking hate the arc that is about italian mobsters and the bastard son of dio i'm not gonna bother with this i have better things to do in my life than watch a show i already dislike yeah that's it that's why i'm just showing you the one thing and going i feel like it's one or the other Mm -hmm. i'm not telling you watch it eventually he carries Ava, who is unconscious and drunk, to a hotel room and leaves her to rest and you know, leaves the room. Uh, the next day, they arrive at a hotel to meet with Capic, and Ava scolds Martin, telling him that his chief suit won't match the dress code. And so you could stay outside and wait for me. <laughs> and uh, so he sits outside and smokes a lot of cigarettes. He smokes lucky strikes, but with a filter like an idiot. I just feel like if you're going to draw a cigarette, that drawing the filter makes it look cooler. I don't know why. Okay, here's what I'm saying. 
Why would you buy a soft pack if you had a choice? I had at the liquor store customers who exclusively bought the shitty camel soft packs. We kept behind a sign because no one asked for them except these specific old men. I don't I don't know why. I didn't just, either. I, I want to ruin some of these, I guess. I had two co-workers who smoked and they legitimately had conversations with this guy when they first came on going, you know, we got like a buck less you can get the camels in a pack that doesn't crumble and, and doesn't out. leave your like pocket full of tobacco yeah like wait so people paid extra to have shitty packaging yes well extra you, what so non-filters always come in soft packs uh, because they're shorter and they don't fit into the standard box without gotcha. like it being a thing where the box can get crushed and the cigarettes destroyed mm. but they do make regulars in soft packs, and only idiots buy those, and they charge you more because they have to go out of their way to make them on a, like a separate manufacturing line, basically. Well, that makes sense. But why do they even offer that? That's so weird. Um, For a specific people, breed of old fuck. Because people buy them, and they make more money. It, they charge slightly more than mm, the slightly mm -hmm, more it costs mm -hmm. them, so it is still profitable. Of course. Uh, yeah, but anyway. I, I worked that job a while ago, and it was like the expensive packs of certain brands would be eight bucks. Those soft packs of Camels, a very commercial brand, would be ten. Hmm. Oh, buddy, if you want, if you want unfiltered Camels here, it's thirteen dollars. This was also a while ago, so I don't know what that's at in California prices now. It's out of control. It's out of control in Washington. Uh, I think we can probably fucking fight you on those. Let's just put it that way. They're bad. It's, everything yeah. is bad. Why, why do they cost so much? Because they know most of their profit is not coming from the U.S. anymore, and so they're just going to squeeze the dying breed. They should make vapes that are satisfying to smoke like cigarettes. Well, they're trying that, but they're also trying to make them cheap and disposable and suck ass. So, you know. Never found a never never found a good mouth to lung tip that I enjoy. Mouth to lung tip is definitely going on a list of names. <laughs> yeah, I, can I was gonna point. say absolutely, uh huh, absolutely. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Well, most most vapes you inhale directly, bypassing holding it in your mouth directly into your lungs. The mouth to lung tips are meant to be smoked like an actual cigarette. In two stages. Gotcha. This is another one of those times where it becomes very clear that I don't know how to smoke shit. Uh -huh. <laughs> But you know who does know how to smoke shit is Martin, because he goes through like an entire pack just sitting here waiting for That's uh, four Ava. cigarettes. Don't be dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> just going for the transition <laughs> for the segue. That means she was in there for about 30 minutes. A filtered cigarette, unless you're really going for it, is a good eight to ten minutes before they became fire safety compliant. Now you got to smoke them in less than four. Mm, or they enough. go out. Yes. Ah. Uh. Really? Yeah. yeah. So people don't fall asleep in bed smoking a cigarette and burn their house down. They're designed they, like in a. They're designed yeah, like that in way. An armchair. Yeah, they're designed to go out unless you're actively dragging on them now. Ah, it sucks. Fascinating. Anyway, I had a bunch. Of, when I worked at a convenience store, a bunch of people changed to smoking non-filters just because of that. Hmm. Like truckers, especially. Hmm. Yeah. Because you know, like just killing time. Yeah, so he's hoping that 
Ava rejects the offer from uh, Capek, and so his job would be over with her. He could just move on with his life, but she does not. And instead, she's been handed a platinum card to use as she likes. And her next her next task for Martin is to follow her on a shopping spree. And we see a lot of stuff like she gets new clothes. She checks out some jewelry. But at the end, uh, they end up at a menswear joint because uh, she wants to get him a suit that actually looks nice. And uh, what looks worse than his other suit. Yes. Like aesthetically. It's it's just hard to tell like quality of well, fabric I mean, and, and like stitching and stuff in an anime. Oh, but... I don't care about I don't care about that. <laughs> what I'm saying is that it makes his character design look worse. It, it has less contrast, yeah. Because it's a like a tan suit instead of um... It has less character because it is a generic high class suit, but he had more detail on him with the rumpled gray one that is his casual mm-hmm. wear. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like yeah. with the slouch and the rumpled suit, he had a lot of character, and now he just looks like a guy. Yeah, mm. but that was done on purpose. Well, at least I know, from Ava's that's what position. I'm saying. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. The the thing I do like about because this got me thinking about just the the suiting designs is just how much this looks like it's from the '90s with the oversized like Hugo Boss shape and silhouette to everything. Um. Like, everyone looks like they're practically a linebacker. But while she's picking out clothes, she also sees this tie, which I believe is the... I don't know if it's the same pattern. I guess it's supposed to be the same pattern, but I know that was supposed to be a very rare um, fabric pattern for the Tenma's tie. Yeah. But she sees the tie, reminds her of Tenma, and she's like, wear this. Uh, At this point, we've gone full Pygmalion with her swapping the term bodyguard for escort. And trying to make sure that he's presentable enough to follow her around to the places she wants to go if he's going to, you know, basically be her plus one all the time. And uh, at dinner that night, they're at a fancy restaurant and she is instructing him on his manners. And, uh, you know, he's like, don't, don't put your elbow on the table. You know, make sure you use, you know, the knife in your right hand. Or... And mm-hmm. uh She's saying that she's going back to her true self uh, in the trappings of high society. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it turns out Capic's deal is that she was going to attend these fancy parties to lure someone out. And we don't know who that is right now. Um, but after the first of these, she discovers her target is not there and she finds Martin, who is outside smoking a cigarette, because he's like, there's a really good scene that she he's walking through the party, seeing people laugh. And he's just like, what? He thinks they're like aliens. Like, what are these people laughing about? Like, what's so funny? I don't know what language I, they're speaking. I don't know what's so funny. Just stocks and stories and mm-hmm. NFTs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, yeah. he correctly identifies them as aliens. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But uh, she leaves looking like she's in a terrible state. Like, she seems kind of panicked. And so we are once again in that familiar pub, and she confesses that she just does not feel right in high society anymore. This is different. This is the wine bar. And also, shout outs to having a really good douchey wine bar name just called Cask. Very good. (laughs) I do like that. (laughs) (sighs) Ah. I'd have to check. I think this is the same pub, just because the layout is so similar. I'll look. The, the other one had booths behind them. This one does not. 
This is okay. just a wine bar. Okay, then I stand corrected. Maybe I'm recognizing it from when uh, the detective who got murked kept coming here with his wife. Oh man, I liked him too. All the good characters. But yeah, so she she's saying she doesn't feel right among those people anymore. And Martin, you know, kind of just trying to continue the conversation, accidentally needling her, goes, so only a pub feels natural now? And this just sets her off more as she screams she doesn't know where her environment is at this point, but it's nothing she recognizes. Love to derive my entire personality from places I like to hang out at. <laughs> I mean, the only reason we don't is that we can't hang out places in a pandemic. Uh, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, instead we just get our personality for hanging out in, like, discords and slacks now. Or in my case, gender is a personality. I agreed to this because I thought it'd be better than getting killed by Roberto and Dusseldorf, but I'm probably not going to survive after this job either. I thought it would be better. I thought you were going to tell us why you agreed to be transgender. What? That cut from sentence to sentence. Yeah, no, there was. And I was like, what the fuck when you said I only agreed to this? I will give you this. Transitioning is better than getting killed by Roberto and Dusseldorf. So far, a little. it's been awkward, but it's been laughable awkward, not a pissed myself awkward. Mm-hmm. Oh, let me try that again. Do, people do leer at you about the same. Yeah. Yeah. There's stories I can't tell on this podcast. And that's saying something. Oh, boy. That's fine. I thought of a joke I can't say on this podcast. I DM'd it to you. Ooh, nice. I agreed to this because I thought it'd be better than getting killed by Roberto in Dusseldorf, but I'm probably not going to survive after this job either. It seemed like it would be better to die here, high class, as Ava Heinemann. But no, it doesn't matter where or when it happens. The same result is you're dead. You're 40! Be better than this, God! She's 40 and she's spent roughly 10 years now just drinking and bitching about her dead dad and her lost fiance. Yeah, she's been on a long-term meltdown for a while. (laughs) The two best relationships she's had that we have seen on camera were the gardener she drove away with her toxicity burning down her place in the process and Roberto because it was good dick and she lived. Oh man, I like the gardener too. Yeah, he's yeah. still alive. All the side characters are so good. They mm-hmm. they do a really good job with imbuing personality to anyone, no matter how small and insignificant they really are to the plot. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Real talk, if you like this, especially with his stuff coming to digital, buy and read Pluto. It's very good. It's just a world-traveling mystery that's much shorter that's about this kind of thing. I will forget about it by the time I'm done reading Romance of the Three Kingdoms. That's cool. It's also not out yet, so I'll just nag you when the announcement comes. But we cut back to Martin's monologue, which is much longer and basically gets summed up as Moe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Smash cut to him in a gunfight in the rain. He's insanely outgunned. My man only has a pistol, and the people against him have assault rifles and automatics. He is pinned down behind the corner of a building. 
And then we're back in the car where he curses the necktie that brought him there, the one we saw her pick out, and the driver assures him they're close as we cut into the dark. The gunfire is incredible. The gunshot. The gu- the gunfight. Incredible. Mm-hmm. It's very brief, but it's animated well. It's not like the That's... muzzle flash in the rain. Yeah, yeah. Good, the the lighting. Like them negative. They don't just like negative it. It's really well done. Yeah, for something we're only seeing in brief snippets, they're they're not half-assing it. They're not shortcutting the animation on this sequence. It is straight up. There's actual positioning. The camera mm-hmm. is moving and cutting around in a way where you can tell what's happening. It's not janky. It's not three frames of loop that we cut between. It's it's really good. It's like so, that last good gunfight we had in the factory where they're like taking cover behind the pillar and stuff. I don't remember what that is, where that was anymore, but there's some very good gunfights in this show. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it, it makes me think that there's a full version of this, and they just did some good cutting to make it brief and uh and like intense and then we're gonna see like the full version of it later uh yeah next week yeah that makes sense but with that done any thoughts on this stretch solid good stuff yeah yeah and they keep bringing in like i can't believe how many new characters that just keep rolling in and out of this story. It is a little weird though, that they, it seems like there's a, I'm just going to be that guy again, that these characters seem to be tied to the macro plot in ways that are like kind of really convenient, like the lawyer or like, um, Oh God. Yeah. Like, I, I guess it makes sense that the, the fail son finds Nina hanging out at his dad's old house. <laughs> that he it's just visits from time to time. By the way, because we're trying to close it out, so anyone new has to be tied in in a way that is convenient to what's already going on right now. Yeah, there's no more time to like add new people and weave them in over time. Yeah, I, I do like Martin though, and he just seems like a mook. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to get more of them next week, but that's because we're looping back to the organization and we're picking up the ruins of that. So yeah. It is a little weird how the show is ping-ponging. So, like, they had this whole digression of going back to Germany, then going back to Prague. It just, it's kind of odd. Well, we're going to spend a little more time in Germany in two weeks with episodes 59 through 62, and we'll find out just who Ava was hired to hunt for. Oh, good. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to know that and was just too dumb. No, they, they haven't revealed it yet. We just know that she's basically social bait. Peace out, fuckers. See ya. Bye.